thinking about today's message and today's passage, I thought of a question, and I was thinking about this earlier this week. Have you ever had to be completely dependent upon somebody else at some time in your life? Now, the answer is yes, because at one time you were a baby, but even in your adult life, have you ever had to be completely dependent upon somebody else or mostly dependent upon someone else? I thought about this past Christmas when Laura and I went to visit her family in Tennessee, and a day into the trip, I got struck with the flu, and it knocked me out for the rest of the time. Now, chances are I didn't use enough hand sanitizer at the airport, and so I probably just got crazy sick because I touched something I shouldn't have touched and didn't wash my hands enough, but that's beside the point. And what happened during that week, though, is it was pretty miserable. I couldn't do a lot. I couldn't even drive. I could just sit either in the bed, in a chair, or in a car. Uh, I was totally wiped out, had no energy. I just didn't feel like myself. And here's the deal. I hated it. I didn't like it, not only because I didn't feel well, but because I, f- I didn't like this idea of having to be dependent upon everybody. I felt weak. I felt like, hey, I, I don't really vibe with this. And so I was thinking about it this week. Why do I dislike this idea of dependence so much? Maybe you can relate. Maybe you don't like being super dependent on others. And maybe this goes all the way back to even something in your childhood. Maybe you weren't able to really trust those who were supposed to take care of you and they didn't care for you that well. And so it became really hard for you to want to be dependent upon anyone else. Maybe your guardians or your parents or your family around you, maybe they didn't do the best by you. Maybe when you look back and you think about that time of being dependent, it's not a great time. And it brings up memories that may not be that great. Or maybe even as an adult, maybe there's been a relationship that's fallen through. Maybe there's been a community that's fallen through where you opened up and you shared things and you shared where you were in a tough season and it felt like you were kind of just left out in the open. And so instead of wanting to be dependent on others, instead you kind of have a mentality that says, I'd rather just go it alone. I struggle. I struggle to let people in. I struggle to really want to have others bear my burdens. I, I think it might be easier if I just bear them myself. I only share certain things about my life, but when it comes to harder aspects or things that I'm going through or seasons that I'm struggling in, I really would rather just keep, keep those to myself. I'd rather try to do it on my own. I'd rather try to get to where I need to be on my own. I'd rather isolate than even open up. And this is tough, and it's not easy, and I think often it's a reality for us in different aspects of our life. And this can easily and often does easily pour over into our relationship with God, that we would rather kind of have God, but at the same time, we would rather do a lot on our own, or we struggle to really hand him certain aspects of our life, certain aspects of our family, certain aspects of our career, certain aspects of our struggles, and so we keep those to ourselves for whatever reason. The question is today, what if that's not really what God intends or is intended for us? What if there's actually a different route and a different place that he wants us to be in life in relationship to him and also in relationship with others? What we've seen through the past several weeks of Galatians is really this idea of the law and the gospel, of works and of faith. One that's incredibly independent and self-reliant and one that's incredibly dependent and humbling. And as we look through what Paul says today, as, he, as we end this chapter, chapter 3 of Galatians, we get some insight into this beautiful aspect of what the gospel offers, because the gospel offers us a lot. And today, what we're going to see is something amazing, and it's called family. 
So if you have a Bible, you can turn here and you can follow along. We're going to be in Galatians 3, starting in verse 23 to the end of the chapter. So here's where we pick up. Let's start in verse 23. Paul's making this case. Galatians, church, don't trust in your own works. They aren't going to measure up. Don't trust in going back under the law. It's not going to save you. There's this thing called faith. That's what it's all about. Faith in the gospel. Faith in Jesus. Here's what Paul says in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And so Paul says here, there are two purposes of the law that you once had. Here are the two purposes. The first one, it says to imprison and hold us captive. Captive to what? Captive to this, to the reality of our sin. To the reality that you and I, we can't solve our biggest issue in life, and that's sin. That's being imperfect before a perfect God. And so what the law did is it held us captive to that reality. That when we would start to think that, oh man, I'm doing great. I feel like I've gone a week without sinning. I feel like maybe I'm not going to ever sin again. The law would remind us when we would mess up, no, 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 you need Jesus. You need a future Messiah. This is a reminder to you that you can't go it on your own. You shouldn't go it on your own, and you can't work yourself in. And so it held us captive to that. That's what Paul's saying. Secondly, it served as what? It served as a guardian. Think of a, think of a crossing guard, right? You've seen kids cross the street. Nobody? Nope, okay. No one's ever witnessed a child crossing the street in here. Kids, as they cross, it's Palm Sunday, y'all. We got to be uh, more excited than that. As kids cross the street, you see cross, crossing guards, and what are they doing? They're, they're helping them cross safely. They're helping keep them in line. They're helping make sure that they don't get hit by a car, that they don't stray and just start walking down the middle of the road. That happens in Ballard all the time, but it shouldn't. You know, that somebody would stay in there. That's what a guardian does. And what Paul's saying is hey, for a time you had the law because Christ hadn't come yet, and so what it was helping to do was to remind you of what it means to follow God in a God-honoring way that would allow you to mature as Christians in the faith, but still yearn for freedom that's coming in Christ. So those two purposes is what Paul's saying, hey, here's what the law was for, but now what's happened? Faith has come. Faith has come, and it's come in the person and work of Jesus, so that you no longer have to stay under the law Now you have a better hope. And so here's what he continues to say in verse 25. But now that faith has come. This is Jesus. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ, you are all, don't miss this today, sons of God through faith. Two of my favorite people are my cousins, Alan and Teresa. I've I've looked up to them ever since I was a little kid. They were foster parents for years and years and years. And I remember the week going over to their house when I think I was about seven or eight years old when they received a, an infant, a baby, into their care. And I watched them for literally the next four years pour everything they had into this child. They believed that this was going to be their child, that they were going to adopt this child. And I remember even going with them to another town about 20 minutes away several times a week so that they, they would take this child and they would take him to see his, his birth mother, who was struggling with a lot of things. She was struggling with depression. She was struggling with substance abuse. But they would take him, and it was hard, and it was difficult, because they didn't know what was going to happen. But at this time, they were only Levi's guardian. 
And so they did this for several years, and, and sometimes he would come back, and he, he wouldn't quite be the same, and sometimes it would be a really bad trip, and they would struggle with it, but they continued to pour themselves into him, and they continued to love him, and they continued to care for him. And here's what I remember is that four years into this, as I watched even as a kid, and I, I witnessed this amazing, compassionate, gracious love from my cousins to this child that they didn't have on their own, but that they were caring for as if they did, here's something amazing that happened. I remember the day that they got to go uh, to the court, and I remember the day that, the, that they were, were no longer just guardians, but they actually became his parents, his mother and father. I remember him entering into our family officially and how we celebrated that. It was this great place of reality that, Levi, you no longer just need a guardian, but now you have a loving mother and father to care for you, and you have loving cousins who love you, and you have loving aunts and uncles who want to be with you, and this was the beautiful reality of adoption. And what Paul's getting at is, once you had the law, this guardian, but guess what? Now you've been adopted into an amazing family. And here's something that's amazing about adoption. Who carries the power and authority in adoption? Is it the one being adopted? No, it's the one that's adopting. And just as my cousins adopted Levi into this family, even though they didn't have to, what Paul's saying is that if you have faith in Jesus, now you are sons and daughters of this amazing family because God loves you this much that he wants you to be a part and he's adopted you in. And that's amazing news for us as a church that we are no longer orphans, but now we have an amazing family consisting of a great father, a great brother, a great helper in the Holy Spirit, and that's great news. It's fantastic news. That's the only hope that we can have. So how do you gain access into the family? Well, here's what it says, through faith, through faith, that you don't have to work for it, even though sometimes we're really tempted to try to work for it. God hasn't said, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z so that you can make it into my family. Instead, he says, no, 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 here's, here's the deal. Even back in the Old Testament, what I was pointing you toward is that there will be a Messiah that comes so that you can have full access into the family, and you don't have to work for it. The, Paul that, the, the point that Paul's making that we even need to hear here this morning is that you cannot work your way into the family. You cannot work your way into the family. It's only by faith. And what kind of faith? Well, look at this. Here's what it is. It talks about it in the Bible. Jesus talks about it. Faith like a child. Faith like a child. Here's what Matthew 18 says. And he, Jesus, said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, for a long time, I misread this and I misunderstood it. And I thought that becoming like children was like, oh, man, I get this. Like, become goofy. Kind of dumb like children, right? That's the faith that God's talking about here. Just kind of ignorant, like, I'll jump off a cliff and I'll trust that God will just catch me. That's kind of how I viewed faith like a child. You know, because a child doesn't necessarily think about everything that they're doing. They're just trusting that mom and dad are going to keep them safe. And that's what I thought it meant to have faith like a child. That's actually, that's actually not what it means in Scripture to have faith like a child. Here's what's amazing. During this time, children were seen as very lowly. They weren't respected. You'll remember even children trying to come to Jesus at one point in his ministry, and the disciples try to get the children away. They say, hey, stay away from him, and Jesus says, no, let him come. And then he tells everybody, you need to have faith like a child. Here's, here's the point of what it means to have faith like a child, and this is, this is crucial for our understanding. A child understood that they did not have a high place in society. In fact, a child would have understood that they had nothing to offer society. Nothing. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't work, they didn't contribute, they were children. 
Having faith like a child means that we come humbly to God, knowing and acknowledging, I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you. I'm coming simply trusting with my hands out and my hands open, empty, trusting that who you've said you are is true, what you've said you offer is true, and that you'll actually save me. It's so humble. This is what it means to have faith like a child, to acknowledge that you don't have something to offer God that's going to gain you access. In fact, for a lot of us, here's what we come doing. We come saying, I don't have anything to offer you. In fact, what I might have to offer you is a lot of hurt. What I might have to offer you, God, is a lot of doubts. What I might have to offer you is my past and a lot of pain. What I might have to offer you is is the abuse that I went through years ago. What I might have to offer you is all of my brokenness. What I might have to offer you at times is anger, that I don't agree with you and I don't get it and I don't understand. In fact, the things that I have to offer you are not great things. The things that I have to offer you are the broken pieces of my life. But here's what I'm doing with faith like a child. I'm trusting that you're going to take all of those and somehow you're going to put those back together for my good. This is what it means to have faith like a child. And what Paul says is, hey, it's only through faith. It's only through faith. And we struggle with this because we see dependence as weak. And we live in a society that sees dependence as weak. In fact, independence is one of the most praised things. You do you. Go on your own. Do it yourself. Trying to think of other analogies, but it'll go poorly. All of those independent things. In fact, what we do is we also put independence on this pedestal that others can look up to and say, man, look how awesome they are. Look how independent they are. But here's the deal. When it comes to the family of God, here's what scripture clearly tells us, that only the dependent and the humble, the needy, the hurting, the broken, the sick are welcomed in because they acknowledge their great need. And here's what's beautiful. Here's what we rejoice in today. Here's what should put a smile on your face today is that when you do, when you enter in through faith, not only do you get new life, you get a whole new family and a whole new name, that we are no longer spiritual orphans. So that you can say with gratitude and confidence, the world, you no longer say that my name is my past. The world, you no longer say that my name is my faults. You no longer name me by my failures. My name is no longer my insecurities. Instead, I am and forever will be known as a child of God, as a son of God, as a daughter of God. This is my new identity inside of a loving and caring and compassionate family as God's child. And here's what's great. No one can take that away from you. This is freedom. This is grace. This is love inside the family. And now you have something better than a guardian. You have something, the Holy Spirit, and he's walking with you and he's guiding you and he's leading you through your darkest days and through your greatest rejoicing and he's never leaving you and he's never walking away from you. Even as you stray and even as you try to walk away, God is with you. He's with you through it all. And this is an aspect of a great, loving family. And you have brothers and sisters, a lot of them. We don't maybe think about this a lot, But if you are a Christian this morning, the others around you today in here are actually your brothers and sisters. And you're like, ha ha, yeah, I get it. No, for real, they are. They're they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why even as membership here at a church, we don't just call it membership, we call it being family members because we are actually a family, imperfect as we may be, because we are, we're not perfect, we mess up. We don't get it right all the time. We don't always care for each other as best as we could. But here's the deal. Inside a family, how should a family operate? We should look to know one another. We should look to care for one another. We should joyfully welcome others in. We should be able to depend on one another. 
We should be willing to open up with one another, bear with one another's burdens at times, celebrate with one another. This is what it means to be a part of the family of God. This is the local church. And, and here's the thing, I know that that may be tough for some of you. And I, I get that. Maybe church has let you down before, I get that. But here's what I know to be absolutely true is that Jesus wants you to give yourself to the local church. I have no doubt about that. No matter what's happened, no matter what's been done, no matter how long it takes, he wants you to give yourself to the local church. Why is this? Because Jesus died for it. Because he says clearly throughout the Bible that not just you individually are his bride, it's the church. And I can also promise you this, that the church will let you down. I'll let you down. The person beside you will let you down. But that's the beauty of discipleship, and that's the beauty of coming together and through faith even growing together as a family. And it's something absolutely worth giving yourself to. And so how is all this possible? Well, look at verse 27. For as, many of, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. Now this can be a little bit confusing. It's like, well, what exactly does this mean? What's, what Paul's saying here, don't miss it, is incredibly countercultural, especially in this Greco-Roman time. You know, to put Gentiles and Jews on the same level was one thing, but to put women and slaves during this time on the same level as men and those who were free was completely another. This would have been very foreign. Now, unfortunately, this verse has been often taken out of context to promote kind of a genderless society or say, look, see what Paul says? There's, there's no difference at all. No, there's no difference between us. Um, we need to just completely do away with, you know, male and female and all of that, and, and that's, that's not what Paul's saying here. It's pretty clear. He's not talking about roles here. He's not talking about men and women not being different at all. What he's, what he's talking about is salvation. What he's talking about is entrance into the family. It wouldn't make sense that Paul was talking about this idea of, you know, no, no longer, you know, consider each other men and women or, or no longer think about the, the, the roles or even the differences between us because Paul clearly writes other letters in the Bible where he specifically talks about those things. So it would be a great contradiction to himself. He's clearly talking about salvation here. Now, although that's true, Paul is making a strong statement on equality which is completely in line with the Bible and something that we care about deeply here at Redemption. I really mean this, that everyone is treated fairly, that everyone is treated equally, that everyone is treated with care, that everyone is treated with compassion, that everyone is treated with respect, that we would be encouraged to use our gifts, that you would be encouraged to use your gifts to lead, to do different things. I mean, I'll, I'll just make it incredibly clear here today, just, just so it's very clear, because it's something that is definitely on my heart. Whether you're a man or a woman in here today, you have an equal voice in the church. And we want you to lead, and we want you to participate, and we want, we, we want that for you, and also we want that for your sons and daughters growing up to see that. We don't want to be a church that has disrespect for any gender, that has disrespect for any person, no matter the color of skin, no matter the class, no matter the gender. We want to be a church that says, first and foremost, when I look at you, you know what I see? I see you baptized in the blood of Jesus as my brother or sister. And first and foremost, when I look at you, what I see is I see Jesus. And if we can do that, that creates an amazing environment of love and of care and of openness and of honesty and of vulnerability. And that's something that we need to be able to foster. And that's something that Paul's making really clear here is this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It looks like, first and foremost, being baptized into Christ and putting on Christ. 
That's how this happens. That's the key here. Here's, here's what this really means. that Through faith we believe that out of the Father's love he sent Jesus, the Son, to this broken, imperfect world. And through faith we believe that Jesus lived a perfect life void of any wrongdoing. And through faith we believe that over 2,000 years ago he entered into Jerusalem, welcomed with the branches, with people crying out, Hosanna, but here's what Jesus knew, is that it would only be a week later when they would turn on him, and he would be rejected, and he would be ridiculed, and he would be beaten, and he would be bruised. And it's through faith that we believe that Jesus willingly went to the cross, that he was willingly pinned to the cross, nails through his hand, nails through his feet, sword through his side, And that he not only bore the pain of that cross physically, but he bore the complete weight of our sins, of those who were orphans, of those who had no hope, of those who had no future life, that he took that upon himself willingly. And that as he breathed his last, that Jesus completely died under that sin, under the weight of that sin, But here's the good news, is that we believe by faith that the Father saw that sacrifice as good, and three days later, he raised Jesus to life. That now we have the opportunity to enter into this family, because when Jesus was raised to life, here's what happened. Grace flung the door open as the Son died, so that new sons and daughters could enter into the family. And this is great news for us, and this is why we're so excited about celebrating Easter next week, and why we want to party next week, because as a church, we have a living hope in Christ, and it's a living hope in Christ alone, that our King is no longer dead, but our King is risen, and so as sons and daughters, we've been risen to life in Him, and no one can take that away, and anyone of any class, of any gender, at any time, in any area, can come to Him, trust in Him, enter the family through faith alone all those who believe that's good news and so when Paul says being baptized into Christ he's literally saying you've been washed clean through the blood of Christ and above all else who you are this morning no matter what anyone tries to pin on you your identity is in Christ It's not in your past. It's not in the things you're going to do today. It's not in the things you're going to do tomorrow. It's not in the struggles that you're going to have. And one way that we celebrate this is through baptism. We're going to to hopefully do that next week. If you have a relationship with Jesus, this is an amazing opportunity to walk forward, not in salvation, but to walk forward and say, I have been baptized in Christ. I relate with his life, death, and resurrection and I'm obedient to the calling that he's placed on my life to be his disciple and that's what baptism is. And so if you haven't been baptized, let's celebrate next week. I don't care how old you are. You could be, you could be 80 years old. Uh, let's baptize you. You know, you could, you could be a child that's maybe a bit younger, but you're like, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me, and I've given my life to him. Let's baptize you. Let's celebrate as a church. There's nothing more exciting than new life. There's nothing more exciting than new life found in Christ. He ends by saying this in verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God's promise to Abraham is pretty interesting. I don't know how much you know about it, but he and Sarah, his wife, they went 75 years without having a child. And then God came to Abraham and he promised him that he would be the father of a great nation. And this was obviously 
hard for Abraham to really completely understand or believe. And then Abraham and Sarah go another 15 years without hearing anything from God. And along this period of time, they make some choices that weren't the best choices. They doubted, they messed up, they failed, they sinned. You know what's amazing though is God still kept his promise. That after 15 years of waiting, after the 75 first years of waiting, God comes back to them and he says, you're still going to have a child. And it takes another 10 years from being reassured that they would have a child until finally they give birth to their son. And God's promises come full circle. And this is an amazing promise that God made with Abraham. And what Paul's saying here is that when you enter into this family, you're connected all the way back to the promise that God made with Abraham. This amazing promise. Now here's the reality, is that fully trusting and being fully dependent upon God isn't always easy. It's, it's not always easy. For you, this may be a great season of joy, and that's awesome, but there may be a temptation to even start to do it on your own because it is a great season of joy. Here's what I would encourage you with church. Continue to look to Jesus. For some of you, this may be the hardest, difficult season of your life. Something's happened or something is happening and each day feels like a struggle. It's hard to trust. It's hard to believe. It's hard not to doubt. We'll face these seasons. Seasons of great joy, but also seasons of great grief and of great trial and of great challenge. And that might be where you find yourself today that it's not always easy but it's always by faith. Here's, here's what I would ask, and I would say this to myself as well. Will you keep trusting that God has good for you, even if his good doesn't look like you wish good looked like? Even if he has a different way, that it's not always easy, but it is always by faith. Would you find your rest in him? Would you find your hope in him? And by faith, would you ultimately find your life in him? What I want you to hear this morning is if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, He's not going to ask you this morning to clean everything up about yourself before you come to him. Instead, he says, come to me and find rest. If you don't have that, he invites you into that. Today, we, we would love to see you enter into our family, a vast family, a broad family, and an imperfect family, but ultimately being found right in Jesus. Here's what else I want to say. If it's a hard season for you, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to pour yourself out. It's okay to even fall apart. But my encouragement to you would be fall apart in the arms of Jesus. The one who can relate with your pain because he took all your pain. Did you know that Jesus is already at the end of whatever season you're going through right now? You aren't there yet, but he's at the end. And we know through the scripture that we can either believe that he has good for us, and we can trust in that even when it's hard, or we can try to go our own way. Jesus says, those who are weary come to me. And so here's great news for us. Not only can't you work your way into the family, it's only through faith, which is great, but through this promise, you'll never be kicked out of the family, forgotten or abandoned, no matter what. This is a promise. When we enter into this family, we're connected to this promise. Church, what I want you to hear this morning is that you are no longer orphans, that you no longer have to go it alone. In fact, you shouldn't go it alone. We need one another. And here's what's even greater is that we have an amazing dad, a loving older brother, a caring helper in the Holy Spirit, and tons of other brothers and sisters in the church and in the faith. You can't work your way in, but through humble faith in Jesus, you get a new identity and your place in the family 
is absolutely secure. What great news that is.